Mini Episode 1491 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1491. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And we have a very big treat for you here today in terms of a segment that really, I think, works on every level. This is great subject matter. Uh, this is somebody who is coming on who is uh, very learned in the subject matter, has talked to some of the key players involved, and a further bonus, going back over a period of time, somebody that I've worked with that I have a tremendous amount of respect and affection for. So, specifically what we're doing here today is breaking down the second half of the final season, doing a preview of what is yet to come on Better Call Saul, Season 6, Part 2 Preview. And I have with me here today uh, somebody that uh, you can find uh, on Twitter, at TV Screener, uh, the great TV critic slash author slash podcaster Kimberly Potts, and somebody that I go way back with here on the show, much so in, in a way... This, this is probably further back than anybody I've ever done a segment with, to be honest with you, because previously on this show, and this will happen a lot from time to time, uh, with this show, of course, having started at the Sports Talk Network in 2007 and kind of gone on from there, I had been there a couple of years prior to that. And this show, fortunately, has become sort of the unofficial alumni hub of the Sports Talk Network. Uh, I've got about a dozen folks from there who are, uh, or more, who are now FDH Lounge dignitaries, as we call them here on the show. So normally when you hear me talk about, oh, this is somebody I go back with, this was even before this program, I'm usually talking about something in the early to mid-2000s. But today we're going to go a little bit further back in the time machine here, back to, uh, as I have often referred to it on the show here, the Harvard on the Hocking, uh, Ohio University here, a fellow Scripps School grad, <coughs> Top Town Journalism School, and uh, <laughs> and back at the Ohio University Post, the school newspaper uh, back in the day, uh, at the time, the assistant sports editor when I came on, and uh, as I had indicated off air here, uh, somebody who uh, was always, I felt like, very patient with me, indulgent of me. You know, I, I was the kind of guy, I, I'm a very boisterous type individual, as is very well known. Uh, that, that whole thing about dress for the job you want, not the job you have, that's how I wrote back in the day, right? Like I was writing like I was writing for the New York Times or the Chicago Tribune or whatever. I would make these grandiose comparisons of the golf team to Jack Nicholas at the 86 Masters and all these kind of things. And again, it, it, I, I was somebody who in my four years in school with all the different activities I was involved in, including politics back in the day, prior to, you know, having gotten out of that uh, once and for all as I became older and bitter about uh, the state of things. But uh, back when I was involved in the whole anti-hippie movement down there in Athens, on many levels and many places, I could be a polarizing figure. But again, you never forget the people that are kind to you. You never forget the people that are accepting of you as you are, nice to you. And I think this certainly had a lot to do with Kimberly's uh, sense of humor as well. Uh, she was somebody that would crack me up a lot of the time as well here. So I, I'd like to think that that's why she took me in stride and uh, never was like, who does this guy think he is? You know, but rather it would be affectionately, hey, get a load of this guy. And that's, that's how I like to be taken by people. And uh, so I have a great appreciation there. So uh, again, subsequently, and this is something that uh, I certainly knew would be the case. I didn't know what form or fashion it would take for all of us. I guess I sort of envisioned all of us going on to be sports writers. And some of us, I guess, have, but some of us have moved in the other areas. Uh, but whatever Kimberly did, I knew was going to be very, very successful. And indeed, uh, that has been the case uh, to a large, large degree, covering TV and pop culture for such outlets as the New York Times, 
Entertainment Weekly, Vulture, The Hollywood Reporter, TV Guide, The Los Angeles Times, Yahoo, Variety, People.com, U.S. Weekly, E! Online, Thrillist, Esquire.com, AOLMovies.com, The Wrap, and right now covering Better Call Saul for AV Club. You can also catch her on the Pop Literacy and Hashtag Authoring Podcasts. Also author of The Way We All Became the Brady Bunch, How the Cancelled Sitcom Became the Beloved Pop Culture Icon We Are Still Talking About Today. And uh, also, as you will note on her Twitter feed, at TV Screener, she is mentioning there a book coming in 2023 on It's Always Sunny. And that is uh, something I can't wait for. I will be there on day one for that. Uh, it, both because it's something that she's doing and also subject matter that I love as much as the subject matter we're talking about today. So with all of that being said, a uh, great honor and pleasure to bring in an old friend and colleague, Kimberly Potts. Tremendous to have you here, Kimberly. Thank you so much for making time for us. Oh, of course, Rick. I will always make time to talk to you, especially about one of our mutual obsessions, uh, which I just found out today includes It's Always Sunny um, and uh, Better Call Saul. And thank you for that really lovely intro. Um, All of the feelings mutual. I have nothing but wonderful memories about you and about working with you at The Post. uh, And I was never uh i i guess i never i never thought about it that you were as you said writing for the job you wanted um but what a wonderful way to think about it i wish i had been thinking about that that way at the time because um that's a really good goal to set well i appreciate that and uh, again your your trademark generosity there i'm not going to lie and say i realized i was doing it at the time I'm psychoanalyzing myself in retrospect. I'm diagnosing what I was doing. But thank you. Thank you. You know, again, you always give me the benefit of the doubt, and I always appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, you teased out two mutual obsessions we have. Let's talk about the other one here first. I teased this to you off air, that being Sonny. And one of the things here, and something that's kind of a, a joke, among a lot of the uh, the folks here with this show, a lot of the regulars, is uh, the way that we will sometimes profile each other on stuff. And I, I have a long profile of things that are very predictable about me. One of the things in there is, if there is a beloved TV franchise that I happen to follow, my favorite episode probably isn't the consensus one, but it's one that people will tell me that they love nonetheless. Like, for example, like, I know with Seinfeld, everyone's favorite one is pretty much Soup Nazi or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. my one for that, which people rarely peg it as their number one, but I've never had anybody tell me it was a bad episode, was it's known as The Voice, but I think it's better known for Kramerica Industries, Giant Ball of Oil, etc. That's my number one, Kimberly. Probably not anybody else's number one, but there's not anybody out there that probably doesn't really like that one. Just cream, Kramerica Industries alone yes. made that, right, yes. with the, um, uh, what was his intern, Darren? Darren, Darren yes. Darren, the intern, great episode. Yes, yes, thank you, yes, and uh, the stuff with uh, George and uh, Mr. Tomasulo and running a foul <laughs> at the toy company, <laughs> it's like, I could watch that one over and over again. Well, similarly with Sonny, my favorite okay. one, it's the end of season five. It's known as the gang reignites the rivalry, but best known for the phrase Flippadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, at the end of a great season, that yes. was really one of their best seasons in general. Um, agree. Great episode. <laughs> it is. And this is a thing. And you asked me off air, who's my favorite character? And I said, Charlie Kelly. But mm-hmm. I tell you, it might be my favorite scene from all of Sonny. And it actually doesn't even have Charlie in it, which is amazing. The scene of Frank and Dennis breaking into that guy's place and just the way that they just keep topping them each other in terms of the insanity and it just keeps yes. spiraling more and more and more. Like that is that is just it's it's maybe to me the greatest scene and what might be the greatest episode, at least in my own opinion. That's a, a, one of my favorite things um, to talk about with Sonny is number one. The, in any given episode, there is a, a couple 
that um, just steals the whole thing. And sometimes I find Dee and Charlie to be a great yes. pairing. Um, I There are a lot of them. Um, I find Mac and obviously Mac and Dennis have a lot. And that's probably, I think most people would maybe say they're their favorite pairing. Um, Frank and have great chemistry obviously I, actually I think most people would probably say Frank and Charlie mm-hmm. are their favorites um, but I love that at any given time you know two of them and two different people are are kind of front and center as favorite um, the other thing though is you mentioned you having a, fa- a different favorite yes. than most people may have mm-hmm. I think that that is true of this show more than any other show I can think of. And it's, I think, again, back to because they're always going off in places that you wouldn't expect and that you won't, you don't necessarily believe they're going to go, they're willing to go, mm-hmm. and they do. So, yeah, I I just love the fact that you love this, this show too. And that, you know, people can love a show like Better Call Saul and equally love a show like It's Always Sunny. Um, very different, but both just very good and very well-written and, and fun. And yeah, I just, I it's, it's proof of how much good TV there is out there now. Yes. And that we should all be looking at different things and be willing to try different shows because there's, again, these two couldn't be more different, but they're both among the best out there. Well, you know, and here's something, uh, too, uh, that I'm going to mention as well. Because, again, I thank God I'm such a good multitasker. I mean, I would get myself in trouble professionally if I mentioned all of the streaming that I had done whilst I was doing other work here. So the number of shows that I have completed in this golden age of TV is truly insane. But before we get into, you know, this here with the uh, Better Call Saul verse, uh, something that uh, touches on it a little bit here, since it is uh, an outgrowth of Breaking Bad. I have said to a number of my friends, and this gets their attention when I say this, because they know how I feel about this, and they know the acclaim that it has. But as great as as uh, Breaking Bad is, I almost mm-hmm. felt like season one of Severance this spring. I almost felt like it was right there. I mean, waiting. it took me about two or three weeks to really get into the show to where I started watching it. And then when I did, those waits for every Friday morning were just torturous. You know, it just, it grabbed wow. me like nothing since Breaking Bad, maybe. Oh, that's that's good. I actually tried to get into that and haven't been able to yet. It, I watched, like you said, a couple of episodes and interested, but it didn't grab me yet. And then I kind of had to break off and, and watch something that I, I had to review. Sure. Um, but so upon that recommendation, I think I'm going to give it another try that you're saying it, it took you a few weeks to get into it. Well, I, I didn't, uh, I, I'd heard of it, but I hadn't watched it until a certain point. But I actually, it was so a little bit different than what you're saying. I was kind of hooked immediately. I kind of had the hook okay. in my mouth right, right from the start. And then I was just like, oh, is it Friday yet? Is it Friday yet? And, and getting up early to watch that every Friday morning. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was really incredible the way that it keeps building and uh, the whole tease of getting to see the outside versions of the people working in uh, Lumen Industries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I can, I can tell you there, there are things coming that uh, you will not be uh, disappointed in at all. And uh, as, I, as I walk the fine line here of not giving you any spoilers, which I imagine for anything that you're doing, if you're doing any other podcast or anything leading up to the start of uh, the breaking, uh, the uh, Better Call Saul season here, uh, you're probably having to walk, walk that line yourself here, since you have been among the privileged few that have been able to get a glimpse of uh, what we have coming here. So, you know, that uh, can you just say in general terms, if, if you feel like this first episode of the uh, next part of the season here, uh, if, if it's going to be something that really lives up to our expectations? Well, that is actually the one word I've been trying to think I was, you know, thought about one word that I could give to people that wouldn't spoil things, but that would be satisfying. Mm-hmm. And that is the word I would say. I mean, I think, you know, there are certain given where we left off and can we, we can talk freely about the, the last episode, sure. right? Yes. No spoilers uh, from there. That's uh, fine. Okay. People, if, if you people. haven't seen it yet, go watch it. Catch up to the beginning of uh, part <laughs> right. two, season six. 
So given where we left off, we can assume that there are going to be some big things that have to happen right away from that. Mm -hmm. So um, what I will say is from that episode, of the many things you are possibly expecting, it is a completely satisfying episode. And um, I really mean that to, you know, to really explain how I felt about it, because um, I have all the trust in the world in those writers and those producers and those actors. And um, I did have a lot of expectations from how, you know, about how they were going to handle it after that. I'm just going to say, I am still shocked and crushed about the death of Howard. Yes. Of all the things that we knew about him, um, and then the things that we learned just in that episode, but also just in this season, it, that gave us, I think, a very different picture of what we had thought about him through other people's eyes up to that point. Um, and then just how shocking and sudden and quick and random his death was it it left a lot to be um you know addressed I think in the next episode and so I again will just say it is a very satisfying episode and uh you're gonna have feels about it you're gonna (laughs) feel some things about it but then I think you are gonna watch it and be super ready to go for the rest of the season and you know we're only going to have five episodes left after we see that july 11th episode so which both makes me very excited about all the things they have to wrap up in that time and of course very sad that this this latest entry into the gilligan universe is going to be ending what a great answer you gave there and it's one of these things where uh, i i like to pride myself over a period of time with uh, having gotten pretty good at the Segway game here. So I'm looking at this piece of paper, (laughs) and I can't remember the last time this happened. You set up two different questions I had, and I have to think on my feet here and decide which direction I'm going to go in real time. So I guess I'll... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pivot to uh, the one here as far as the, the five episodes left. I guess let's start there, because this is a thing where, and again, this is where it's such a pleasure talking to somebody that can engage me on like the nerdiest of details about this because i i'm the kind of guy that like after breaking bad was on i'm the kind of guy that was like trying to pin down the timeline and everything like that so we know it's Mm -hmm. 2008 to 2010 we know this uh better Mm -hmm. call Saul, i believe started in 02 i think we're up to maybe 05 at this point 04 maybe 05 i'm gonna say 05 after the end of last season the last half of the season so yeah You've got, you know, my rudimentary grasp of math tells me three years to go till the start of the Breaking Bad timeline. So you you have to figure there's going to be significant time jumps here, uh, and, and that's leaving aside whether or not we get to post-2010 Cinnabon Gene in Omaha. But, I mean, this is an awful, awful lot to get to mm-hmm. in just five episodes, and I've been thinking all along this whole thing about Walt and Jesse Unless they're going to do some stray flash forwards, I have just always sort of assumed that we're going to catch up to the Breaking Bad timeline and maybe you get to see some alternate versions of events on there. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on the pacing of this thing? Because, again, I was looking at this timeline coming into the half season and I thought the first half of the season was very satisfying, but it is still in a relatively concentrated period of time and there's just so much open highway left ahead of us here. I, I don't right. know. It, it, it sort of feels like they might have backed themselves into a corner because, you know, can they, can they address everything that we would possibly want to see by the end of this season? I mean, there, there's a lot of questions there, aren't there? There are a lot of questions. I can tell you one thing for sure. They have pretty much confirmed that they, and in fact, um, I saw the episode, the, the July 11th episode, during a the Tribeca Film Festival a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. They had, um, and they were kind of, I think they were still kind of surprised themselves that they had agreed, that AMC had agreed to show this episode ahead of time because they, you know, they realized they were taking a risk of, of spoilers aplenty getting out. And um, I have to say, I saw it in a theater, you know, like a movie theater sized um, room with people. And those people were such fans that um, 
I don't know. I kind of, I haven't seen any of the spoilers and I expected at least within the week afterwards that I would start seeing things on Twitter and, and various places. And I have to say I haven't so far. And I really respect that because Mm -hmm. I think those people were such fans and they have such respect for the actors and um, Peter Gould, the showrunner, and of course, Vince Gilligan, that they, they really didn't want them to regret having shown it early to, to people at the film festival, but they were, Peter Gould was there and Bob Odenkirk was there. Ray Seahorn was there. Tony Dalton who plays Lala was there. And, um, Gordon Smith who wrote the, uh, the July 11th episode was there. And they, I don't know that they necessarily meant to, but they, in the end did confirm that we are absolutely going to see Gene before the series ends. Um, didn't give any more hints than that but you know I think adding that in me is like you're saying they have a lot of road to cover and having that one more thing that future character um that isn't a a part of any of this current stuff I think it means they have a tremendous amount to cover so I think you're right I think there are definitely going to have to be some time jumps and um, we should mention the news that came out this this past week, was it? Yeah, just, I think, Monday. Um, AMC confirmed that Carol Burnett is going to be yeah. guest-starring. <laughs> and she then later confirmed that um, I think her character is in, in at least one episode. The character's name is Marion. And she said that, her appearance comes in the, during the final episodes of the season, which I think maybe that means, I mean, if you get a Carol Burnett, obviously she's a big fan of the show, which she said. And, um, but if you, those guys have such reverence for classic TV and, and um, uh, I'm sure that they are big fans of Carol Burnett. If you get a Carol Burnett, guest starring in one or two episodes at the very end of your series, I have to think that you're going to do something really special with it. And um, they've also said that uh, I saw an interview with Peter Gould earlier this week where he was saying that people have posed all of these theories to him about how Walt and Jesse are brought into the show. And none of them, he said, have come even close to the storyline that they came up with. So I, this is just my theory. I have no knowledge of it being true, but I'm thinking that maybe that is the way they bring Carol Burnett in. They bring her and Walt and Jesse in somehow, because obviously we know nothing about her character. The name Marion doesn't ring any bells from uh, the Gilligan universe uh, to me. uh, And I think to anyone else, we would have somebody would have put it together. I think if if it was something that came up from a fan theory that there was someone else named Marion. So I'm going to go with in my mind. I'm just going to think. I'm going to hope that that's what happens. That the special, um, you know, guest starring of Walt and Jesse coming in ahead of time. I guess. Uh, yeah, obviously ahead of time of of when the Saul timeline meets the Breaking Bad timeline and um, the special guest starringness of Carol Burnett. I'm just going to believe in my mind that that's all going to have something to do with each other because wouldn't that be great? It would. And I have to say the odds of you being right based on what you said are much higher than the odds of me being right about Wall and Jesse because I have to believe, I mean, like, if this was Family Feud, I think my theory would probably be number one on the board. Oh, we're going to jump ahead to the Breaking Bad timeline, and that's where we see them. So if if he's swatting down what everybody's saying to him, chances are a lot of people are saying to him, like, what I'm saying to him. So, yes, so then you start to get to some of these other theories. That would be very interesting, and yes. And there, there are a lot of shows out there where you would worry about stunt casting, this ain't one of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to make good use of Carol Burnett. This is not going to be somebody reminiscent of one of the characters on her sketch show. They'll use her the right way. (laughs) Right. In fact, Carol Burnett on her show would probably make fun of such a thing. (laughs) But, um, 
You know, though, I do have to say, I like your theory about, and I don't think that it's, I think he could be um, parsing a bit there and that it's, it's hard to believe for me that no one has come close to, or even close to what they end up doing. Um, I do, I have had a feeling though, before the Carol Burnett thing, you know, it's that whole um, Lalo Nacho thing. The, the first scene where we ever see the Saul Goodman character, of course, which we all now, as fans of both of the show, love going back to and talking how about how when Saul first met Jesse and Walt and out in the desert, and he was, you know, worried that they were trying to kill him, and he mentioned these characters, Lalo and Nacho, or Ignacio, and that um, at the time, these were just names they threw out there that I think Peter, yeah, Peter Gould is the one who created the Saw character and wrote that episode that introduced us to Saw. And now, of course, uh, you know, as they do, these intensely clever things, they went and turned out these characters who turned these characters who didn't even exist at the time into these major characters who we've all come to love and fear and all these other things with Nacho and, and Lalo. So I do think that they, it would be very clever then to, um, to have Walt and Jesse kind of re- revisit that scene with Saw in kind of an expanded way where we now know that um, Lalo and Nacho were real characters for Saul mm-hmm. and that, that he would obviously know who they were and, and what they were all about at this point. Um, so I, I think that maybe Peter is saying no one has come up with the exact way they bring Jesse and Walt in. But I don't think that you're necessarily wrong that it's about revisiting um, a scene or, you know, maybe expanding on something. Well, yeah, and we'll have to see how that plays out uh, because, like you said, there's so many different ways they can go with this. But what I want to ask you about, and this this is a question that's very much in the weeds, but I think you'll be able to follow where I'm going on this. I'm curious, you know, as somebody who's talked to some of the players here and been part of these press packs and everything like that and been able to hear as they're discussing, as you've alluded to, I wonder if they carry, as they're doing this, the burden of not retroactively changing any of our Breaking Bad memories. Because, like, I I feel like everything they've done with Mike, for example, it's a thing Mm -hmm. where they've given us a much fuller understanding of him and I don't watch Breaking Bad any differently because of what I learned about him you know from there it fits in kind of seamlessly but it's a thing where as far as when they go to resolve what happens to Kim uh, it's a thing of do you feel like they're thinking in this we have to do this in a way where it's not going to change what people thought when they were watching Breaking Bad you know that this the or, or or conversely that the Breaking Bad version of Saul can stand in isolation, basically, that you don't need to have watched the prequel on this. I'm just wondering about this, because when you start going and you start filling in backstory kind of stuff, it does sometimes run the risk of affecting how people are going to watch Breaking Bad when they go to rewatch it with this in their head. And I wonder if right. that's something that you, you think that they think about, or in, and if so, if it, if it would bother them, or if they would be okay with maybe altering those thoughts. They, I can answer that for sure. Really? I've had conversations with them. They 1 million percent think about that to an intense degree. Oh, wow. Probably to a degree where fans would let them get away with small things here and there. They would not let themselves get away with that at okay. all. And, um, no, they, I, I'm trying to think of a specific example that started a conversation with them oh i know when they were doing the episode um where we find out about wait it it was in yes the episode about um the backstory between gus and um you and i were just talking about this a little bit before we uh, started recording um about gus and his relationship with the cartel and how that has you know kind of evolved 
in spite some crazy, crazy things happening. And I remember talking to the writer of that episode um, about in just like as I was asking him questions about the episode, I had to kind of keep going back and forth between what had happened in Breaking Bad and then what had happened in Saw. In Saw. And he was... I was trying to keep it straight in my mind and I thought, you know, I was probably going to start confusing him with the things I was asking, but he was right on the money with, no, we thought about that. We thought about that. We thought about this. I mean, these are people who take great pride into avoiding writing cliched situations, Mm -hmm. writing things that they think we're going to easily guess. And, um, you know, take pride in literally writing themselves purposefully into corners so that they have to come up with some great way of getting out, you know, down to little things like one of my all time favorite things about Mike, who is one of my all time favorite characters. Yes. And it is absolutely a shame on the Emmys that, that he has not won an Emmy for the Gilligan universe is a crime so love everything he's done with that character on both shows but i i'm sure you'll remember this the episode where he's trying to the saul episode where he's trying to catch someone breaking into his house so he buys carbon paper and puts it under the um doormat on at his front step because then they will if they've stepped on it, he can lift it up and see that there's a footprint there. Mm-hmm. And that's something that was born out of them writing themselves into a corner, not knowing how to get out of it. And they had, um, I think it was a, a cop consultant on the show and told them about this story he'd heard about a detective who did that. And so they, they will go to great lengths for the smallest detail. So I have, no doubt that there is no way they're going to mess with uh, the timeline just to make something work in Saul, you know, retroactively. Um, And and I don't think anybody should be worried about that. They they will come by whatever storyline, whatever ending they get, they get to, they will come by it completely honestly. I have to say, because, you know, your answer just blows me away because for a question, uh, where and again, and I'm not af- I'm not afraid to be esoteric, but I thought it might have been a little bit so. I mean, without breaking kayfabe too much or pulling back the curtain too much, <laughs> in talking about my own writing, knowing that that's stuff they think about, holy crap, that is right. that, that you gave me a lot of confidence right there, knowing that I was anticipating something they're thinking about. That's a that's an amazing thing uh, for me to take uh, forward. You know, that is, I'm not surprised on, on their part with the amount of care and everything like that that they have so obviously put into this. And what I wanted, this this was, I'm going to ask you a question here. This is the other one where I was debating about what was the right follow-up question here. So I'm going to go back to this one because this was based on your initial first information about what you uh, thought coming into this season. And that being mm-hmm. talking about Howard biting the dust. And that's a thing yeah. where with Howard... With uh, Nacho earlier in the season, previous to that with Chuck, I, I almost feel uh, like the Better Call Saul era of Better Call Saul is over, and it almost feels like we're 100% into just a pure Breaking Bad prequel at this point here, and this is a thing, and uh, you know, one, one of my uh, regular FDH Lounge dignitaries on the show, my friend Mike Villey, he has said that he's somebody where he was like, he didn't, he didn't watch the show like me and you, right? He would, I'm not saying fast forward through Chuck and Howard and whatever, but it was like, to him, it didn't start getting good till the cartel was mixed in. Versus folks like me and you, we've enjoyed it on its own merits and also for the Breaking Bad fan service. But we're at the point in time where anybody watching it like he was, and let's be honest, there's probably a fair amount of people out there that were like that. Like, can we just get to the Breaking Bad stuff? For those people, I gotta think, this is going to be their favorite stretch of the whole thing here right now because I feel like Howard biting it there is the end of an era in the whole Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul universe, bigger than just what happens there. and Obviously, the things that come out of it with Saul and with Kim, which are going to be enormous, but, but I, I almost feel like this entire era of the show died with him. Do you get the same kind of sense? 
That's a, a really, really great point. Um, and, you know, I actually was talking to someone, uh, a, a fellow fan, but as like your friend didn't he I remember him telling me he was happy that that the whole Chuck thing was passed because that was really slow for him Mm -hmm. and it was just like you know a donkey kick to the to the stomach to hear that because (laughs) I loved Chuck I loved that character I loved the writing Michael McKean is amazing um I loved their the relationship between them and so but yes I think you're so right the the death of howard was really kind of the end of of a certain era of the show and um you're right it's it's straight into breaking bad land at this point right i mean we feels like it we we have the cartel we we have no more howard and um i will say i think there could be more fallout from howard even Mm -hmm. though that may not factor into the bigger picture things of, of the rest of the show. Um, I do think Jimmy and Kim, assuming they both survive this next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most of us probably assume that that is, you know, you have five episodes left after this. Sure. You're probably not going to get rid of Jimmy or Kim at this point. Um, at at but, least Jimmy, right? <laughs> at least Jimmy. Yeah, for sure. Um, th- yeah, that's another whole question that we've all, the, the fate of Kim uh, is, I think, probably still the biggest question for, for most people. But yeah, I think that's a really good point. And um, I guess it's it's just been so hard for me to even fathom throughout the entire series that people weren't enjoying Chuck and Howard and and all of that and and I love what we really learned about Howard no matter how you felt about Howard before this season I think you definitely have some new takeaways uh if you were paying attention to that storyline yes so um but no that's a really good point uh, I and I wonder if even in the ratings we'll see those numbers go up now for these these last few episodes and not just because they're the last few episodes, but because you said it, it could be a slightly different fan base. That's, you know, really going to tune in and not miss a minute now. Yes. And I'm going to tell you something about another friend of mine, and this is just going to melt your brain when I tell you this, because it was so (laughs) hard for me to fathom. All right. So another one of my show contributors, Ken Detweiler, he had never watched Breaking Bad. And then he started watching Better Call Saul. And I was like, so you have no frame of reference for any of this? That's right. And he was enjoying that part of it. But it's like, I I wonder how many people out there in America, there can't be many, that were like, I, I never got around to watching this Breaking Bad thing, but I think I'll check out Better Call Saul. There's some good buzz about it. I mean, that just, I, I, I just, my eyes were bugging out of my head when he said that, because you would think that 100% of the target audience for this show are people that are following the whole Albuquerque verse, but nope, not everybody. <laughs> right. That I, I have heard that a, a number of times at this point, but yeah, it doesn't, it still does not fail to surprise me. <laughs> um, because I, and the other thing is when, when, um, Better Call Saul first began, none of us really knew what to expect from it because yes. it was, would it be a comedy? Would it be, you know, the full on Saul? And I remember they've said, all of them have said several times since that they expected to go from Jimmy to Saul by the end of the first season. Mm-hmm. So even they didn't know what to expect from it. Um, but I remember before the show even started, and I think it was the first time I ever interviewed Peter Gould, he was telling me that all of the women in the office fell in love with Jimmy when they just read the first few episodes of, of the season, of the first season, and then they saw Odenkirk playing Jimmy. They all fell in love with him so much, and they all kept saying, you can't turn him into Saul right away. We want to see Jimmy. And it kind of stuck in their heads that, yeah, people are going to want to live with Jimmy for a little while um, before they go full on saw with him. And I mean, I, I would argue that we are still seeing, you know, a lot of Jimmy. I think we're seeing a lot of Saul too. And we have for um, 
definitely at least the last couple of seasons, but uh, it, I love that. And I think that's such a, a, a tribute to Odenkirk, obviously, but to the writing, to the creators that um, not just that they recognized that and that they recognized how the people around them were reacting to this character on the paper and in just the first few episodes, but then they adjusted and they, you know, they pivoted to, yeah, let's, let's stick with Jimmy. Let's turn that into an interesting backstory for those of us who did love Chuck and all of that, those other things. And it was an organic thing. It wasn't like they just turned him into this character because for the sake of keeping Jimmy around for a while, it all fit. It all made sense. They found themselves in a corner of having this character that they didn't want to kind of, you know, get rid of, um, earlier than they had planned and so they made it work for them and here we are at the almost at the end of six seasons and as you said some people are already proclaiming that Better Call Saul is ultimately the better series than Breaking Bad and that's a, a pretty big accomplishment I think I mean that's really amazing when you think about having two series that are so incredible but people are already arguing that the sequel or prequel um, may be their favorite one. It is incredible. It is quite a tribute to what they have accomplished, no doubt about that. And uh, we went from a point in time where when Breaking Bad wrapped up, uh, they, they, I don't know how definitive they were, but it, it seemed like, okay, this is done, a door is closed, whatever. But then uh, subsequently, the ideas start percolating out there for Better Call Saul, and as you indicated, uh, there was some talk that it could end up being like a sitcom kind of a thing. I was kind of thinking, oh, that would be awesome. Let's just see him interacting with all these weird people and criminals and stuff, <laughs> and like, I, I wouldn't have minded seeing that version of it, but instead, this manifested, and there ends up being also El Camino, so at this point in time, you, you can't really assume that the door is slammed on doing other type things here. Uh, I had mentioned to you off-air, I'd seen speculation about a Kim Wexler prequel, which, again, mm -hmm. to me, is is not as interesting as some of the other possibilities out there. I'd rather see if Kim is still alive during the Breaking Bad timeline and pres presumably off-canvas uh, here. I think it's been ruled out that she was still in Saul's life in any form or fashion. So seeing what happens there, as I mentioned to you off-air, the, the Gus backstory, I think we're all dying for that, whether it be in Chile, whether it be the time, you know, from, uh, you know, seeing, you know, the dude he was with there at the pool get shot to becoming a member of the cartel, what happened in there, Cinnabon Jean subsequently, and uh, I did I did mention, and in one of my uh, previews that I recorded uh, for the show here, I, I gave credit to uh, the great uh, TV critic Kim Potts for her theory, and I'd love to see it of Cinnabon Jean in a sequel, so I co-endorse on that. Uh, so, I mean, there's any number of ways that they can go, you know, for this, but uh, the good thing is uh, they're not really pushing the door shut on doing something else, and, and again, they were relatively definitive in doing so uh, back in 2013, and that ended up not being the final word. So one way or another, I think we're going to get to see more of this. I wonder if you agree, and I know you agree it would be awesome if so. I absolutely think so, and I I think that they're all exhausted right now. I sure. mean, they had that break because of COVID. Um, they obviously had the break because of Bob Odenkirk's heart attack. They've been through a lot the last couple of years. And uh, in some ways, the the pandemic break was good because it gave them even more time to think about. Um, and I, I think they, they've acknowledged that they did make a couple of changes from what they you know, kind of had the final season all mapped out and I think maybe largely written or totally written. Um, and they went back with the extra time that they got from that and um, changed things up a little and, and have said they're happier with it. Um, but I think there's been a lot of drama for them uh, in getting to this last season and getting through it. So I think, and, you know, they, they didn't take a big break between doing Breaking Bad and, um, Saul. So I think that they probably need a little break. And so any, and they have said in recent interviews that they don't currently have 
any plans for going forward right now with another show in the universe. However, they said that at the same time, uh, at this point of Breaking Bad, they said that they denied any any concrete plans too. So, um, you know, I think not that they would, you know, be trying to to put people off and they are people who appreciate their fans very much. But I think that they could have some discussions and have had some discussions in recent times, or they really could just feel like they need to all go maybe do some different things for a while. Um, think about what, you know, cause it's, it's one thing for us to say, we want to see this, we want to see this in a series, but we don't have to sit down and write a whole Bible of a series. Right. Uh, you know, we can, we can mention five things we'd like to see, but you know, that could be something that they would do in a movie like they did with El Camino, um, which I thought was a great way to kind of give us a little something that we all wanted a little more of of that character um, without having to do a whole se- yeah, a whole season and, and wait around for another season. So maybe they'll do something like that. I agree 1 million percent. There is so much more Gus story to be told. Um, and I would love to see a movie or a whole season or I, I'm guessing that those people, those writers could come up with another whole series for the Gus backstory. I definitely think there is more to the Gene story. Um, I will be happy if if Gene is just alive at the end of Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. so that there is a possibility, uh, because when we when we did last see him, uh, you know he was he had decided that he was going to handle Jeff, the cab driver, the menacing, threatening, uh, definitely going to try to blackmail him in the future cab driver. He had decided not to go with Ed the extractor uh and it's and and instead handled jeff the cab driver himself so that sort of suggests to me that maybe some things that have the kind of rougher side of of jimmy slash saw that he's been willing to do some things that we maybe don't even know about yet that we are maybe going to see in deciding that he is gonna kind of take back his life as Jimmy and Saul and that that spirit of those two characters versus that spirit of you know sad sack Gene working at the Cinnabon mall and at the the Cinnabon store in the mall and maybe he's decided to kind of you know take his life back and whatever that's going to mean going forward again I, I I hope that at least Gene is in the game still at the end of Better Call Saul. I agree with you. I love Kim Wexler is one of my all-time favorite characters in prestige TV. I think she's right up there with any character you can name. But I think the most interesting things about Kim are what we have seen. And I know that's saying, well, yeah, we haven't seen the most interesting things from her past. I, I think we have, though. Mm-hmm. And I think anything that um, if we're going to see more Kim, and I would love to, that it's going forward. So definitely a Kim Wexler sequel would be the thing. Yep. Um, you and I mentioned we'd love to see more about Lalo, mm-hmm. one of the great characters they've created. Sadly, we know there is no more probably for us to to uh, to get for, about Nacho. Although I think Michael Mando deserves an Emmy for just those first few episodes this yes. season. Yes. He was incredible. He was incredible throughout the entire series. But that episode where where he had the took off in the truck and the gunfight, that was as good as like the best of seventies cinema and Steve McQueen and that that's mm-hmm. what it really reminded me of that whole era of filmmaking and just so many great things they've done they've done on this show that they're a nod to other great things of the past and I personally think that there are very few Saul and Breaking Bad fans who wouldn't want there to be a TV future where there is a third series in the Gilligan universe 
You know what? And this is a thought that I've literally just had talking to you now. And I am going to uh, steal a concept from my friend, the author, Maya Master, uh, something she talks about, about manifesting things. I'm going to put this out into the universe. Oh, I like that. You know what I think we need? We need this anthology style. How about a season that gives you this and a season that gives you that? And you just do a tour of a bunch of these ones here. Why does it have to be this one or this one? You just threw out a bunch of good possibilities, Kim. Why can't it be an anthology where we get to visit a number of these things over a couple of years? How about that? That is brilliant. And that is, yes. And you know what? I think they would all hop on board to that because it's nothing that any one person has to commit to five or six seasons for. And, you know, they are doing that very thing with The Walking Dead. They have an anthology series coming on. I think it's coming on later this year. Um, And it's going to be a mix of some characters who were already on the series and then just random characters that, you know, they want to tell certain stories with. And they're getting, you know, interesting guest stars. I know Terry Crews is in an episode. Mm. Just, um, yeah, I'm not remembering any of the other people. You can Google it, though, and they've already announced a lot of the guest stars but they did it for that i think that very reason they didn't they had some great ideas from the writers room throughout the seasons and didn't necessarily get to do them or didn't necessarily have a character that they fit well for um but now they have all these great stories they still want to tell and i'm guessing that there probably will be some backstories of maybe characters that we've already seen rick that's that's the best idea. I guarantee you there is no better idea out there right now about this than your idea. Because, again, they don't have to get a lot of people to commit to this one thing. And we can have our Lalo backstory now mm-hmm. and um, a couple of different Gus, at least a couple of different Gus um, backstories. We could have a Kim Wexler backstory then episode yeah. and it would be the best of all the ideas that they ever had that maybe they didn't get to use. Okay. Brilliant idea. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I would like to, uh, to see this and have it be a, a concentration in those ways. And that's the thing here. You know, I, I, I was thinking uh, when, when you were talking that uh, uh, somebody else who uh, I, I know and who I've learned some things about this business from uh, my friend uh, and a friend of the show, uh, for, a former football player, Vernon Turner, who uh, is going to have his life story put on the big screen, uh, an extraordinary life story, and that's the one that uh, Russell Wilson, Dwayne Wade, and their superstar wives are going to be uh, co-producing, so that's really going to be something. You mentioned Terry Crews. Wow. Here's a trivia thing. The, the 91 L.A. Rams, one of the biggest dog crap teams probably of all time, right? And yet, in that locker room, Terry Crews, my friend Vernon Turner and Bill Goldberg. So as far as post-football wow. goes, that's a heck of a team, Kim. They weren't much to see on the field, but post-football, <laughs> you find me a better team than those three, huh? <laughs> that's true. And did you know Terry Crews went to one of the Michigan schools that OU played? That's right. He was a Mac guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I had the chance to interview him once and brought that up because, of course, I, how was I not going to mention that connection, however random and odd it was, would have been to anyone else. But I was so excited that he went. I think it was Western Michigan. I'm not certain. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> Love that. See, we're we're related by Macdom yes. to Terry Crews. That that is that is incredible. And Terry Crews was a teammate of my friend Vernon. And yeah, I mean everything ties together. I always say Six on this degrees, program, right? yes, yeah. yes. I mean on, on this show, it's more like two or three degrees as far as how things are, you know, <laughs> tightly tied together. But uh, you know, as you know, what this this is also a a, a good excuse for having you were talking to me earlier about having writing partners Mm -hmm. and why people work so well together in writing rooms Mm -hmm. um we just because we were talking about that that was that idea that you had of an anthology series was born out of us talking about that that is that's just the best thing and that is why people you know shouldn't discount bouncing these kinds of things off of each other and and, you know having a writing partner and Yes. Finding someone that you can trust and share ideas with because, um, and I'm sure that's, that's why that is a big part of why the Gilligan verse, um, 
series are so good because that's how they operate. They, you know, they give credit where credit is due. They all trust each other. You know, they, as we were saying, they don't give up on ideas. They don't go to cliche. They don't settle for that's a good enough way to figure out that story. They work on it until they're satisfied, until they really feel like they've come up with the best solution, the best storylines, the best plots, um, the best minor details. And um, it's because they work together and they work so well together. And that's how it happens. Yes, that's it. Exactly. And uh, yes, I can 100% back up what you're saying, because in my creative and networking group, you know, again, I've. I've got fingers in a lot of pies. Some of those fingers are in some of my pies. And, yeah, I mean, working together, collaborating, bouncing ideas off of each other, you know, there's no substitute for it. And you, you, you just, you, to be a fly on the wall, right, of those writers' oh. rooms there, I mean, you've come closer than most of us are going to by getting to interview them and hear the thought process and everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, just knowing how their minds work. I'm going to go back to what you'd said earlier about, you know, how a lot of shows – it comes to what's more interesting to do as far as if you're talking to the showrunners or the actors and actresses. I 100% get where you're coming from because it's it's the minds behind what's happening and how they got there and, and all of that. That to, I agree with you 100%. That's where the magic lies. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously, as we said, you know, for a show like It's Always Sunny, they're writing, they're the ones writing and directing and producing and editing everything um, famously that, you know, they've done all of those things and, yes. and, and are also acting. So they're writing for themselves and stuff, but that certainly isn't always the case, even usually the case. And so, yeah, the especially the people on shows like these, both of these shows that we are talking about where they care so much about the quality of the show and the stories that they're telling and the fans, um, you know, they, I think that, that the filmmakers and the actors and the writers, everything of both Sonny and Saul would say that they are giddy when, um, not just that they have fans and that they have fans that are devoted, but they have fans who are monitoring, you know, whether they're staying true to the Bible of the show and, and that they're not, you know, just rewriting things for the sake of, uh, you know, having an easier time with something. I think they love if yeah, the sunny guys, I can imagine that they would be amused and a little embarrassed if people kind of caught them, you know, not knowing their own show. Right. And I think for the Saul writers, for sure, they would be horrified if they had messed up their own timelines or, um, you know, their own minor details, because again, these are people who pride themselves on not doing that and who I'm sure have given themselves many a sleepless night or a frustrating writer's room experience because they took a long time to figure something out. But again, that's, that's not only why the shows are so good, but why, People like us are obsessed with them and, um, you know, keep going back exactly. 13 years and, 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 well, 15 years and longer for Sunny. And, and um, you know, what feels like a shorter time because of just the six seasons with Saul, but those are a hard-won six seasons. They may only be 10 episodes a season, but, man, I can't imagine being able to say that I had written one, any one of those great episodes of Saul, I think for most of us would be enough accomplishment for a lifetime of writing. It would, it absolutely would. And it's, it's just, it's incredible to think of what an accomplishment it is for anybody that's gotten to do that and contribute mm -hmm. to this body of work. And uh, again, a, a body of work uh, that just really, again, when you go to kind of break it down, uh, it's always a thing where, uh, you know, and I, I know you, you certainly feel, you know, in your coverage of it, because your coverage is so always spot on and interesting, of the burden of being worthy of the material, which your coverage always is, and which, again, this conversation I knew would be and certainly has been. So I can't thank you enough for that. I have to say, uh, with this being the case, 
Uh, not to put you on the spot here, but it would be very interesting to revisit what our expectations were once this run of episodes has gone by here. So uh, mm. I would very much uh, be interested in doing uh, that uh, if uh, we could find a, a time that works for you. But uh, Absolutely. I, oh, I, I can't thank you enough, uh, Kimberly. This is just awesome to get to talk to you. Uh, first of all, again, feels like old times. Sitting it down does. there BSing in the bullpen down at the, the post and, uh, you know, to, to hear, uh, you know, it, it making the magic of, of having a great conversation, digging into this, uh, and two obsessives who just really, you know, love getting our, our fingers down in the details of this thing here. And I know that uh, it, it's a very rewarding thing for anybody else to be able to check out our conversation here because uh, these are the kind of things you know as well as I do. These are the kind of things the super fans are talking about. So to be able Absolutely. to service the super fans, you you got to love doing that. I cannot thank you enough, uh, Kimberly, and I'll look forward to that subsequently. And oh, by the way, uh, I, I need to be on your book tour when the Sunny Book comes out because <laughs> you got is, it. Uh, we will... We will plug the bejesus out of that thing, and uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I'll be counting the days until that thing comes out because, uh, like I said, you know, first and foremost, it's your project, and I can't wait to see what you do with it. And second of all, the subject material, so that'll be awesome. So yeah, so a lot of great things to look forward to subsequently here. But uh, thank you so much, Kimberly, for your time. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode fourteen ninety one.